This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. I grew up in Chicago, currently a resident of Chicago, uh, and I grew up on the south side in Chatham. This is Yatasha Womack. If you don't know her, we're about to get to know her. You know, a lot of the city being a resident here and engaging in so many of the arts institutions here, it really helped shape a voice for me where I could write about Afrofuturism. Yatasha is a renowned, award-winning scholar of Afrofuturism. Ten years ago, she wrote a primer on the subject called Afrofuturism, the World of Black Sci-Fi and Fantasy Culture. And that, along with her research, dance practice, and other writing, have made her an authority on the genre as a whole. Afrofuturism is a common pastime discussion, I would say, in Black communities. Uh, People are always talking about trying to assess, have we progressed? Have we not progressed? What do we need to do to move forward? Yatasha released a new book this month about one of the most notable figures in Afrofuturistic sci-fi, Black Panther, My name is King T'Challa. I am the sovereign ruler of the nation of Wakanda. And for the first time in our history, we will be sharing our knowledge and resources with the outside world. The book is called Black Panther, a cultural exploration, and it focuses on T'Challa, his protopian home country of Wakanda, and the wider cultural significance of the character. Yatasha says Chicago is a big reason she was able to write it. The first Black Panther fans I met were Chicagoans. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I could say that being in a rich sort of multicultural space and dynamic that has a thriving, enriched African-American history here mm-hmm. really helped shape perspectives where Wakanda made sense for me. I was so geeked to talk to Yatasha about her work and how Afrofutures are everyone's futures. I started by asking her to read a passage from the introduction of her new book, which I felt really captured the presence Black Panther occupies in a lot of people's worlds. Black Panther is a living, breathing mythos, a modern myth informed by liberation struggles, histories, the otherworldly, and aspirations. Black Panther reshapes consciousness. His story is both an amalgamation of wished-upon dreams and an inspiration for those dreams. A tapestry of culture and hope is pushed forward with every page drawn of T'Challa's adventures. Mm. That is a lot for one character to represent. Um, It also is extremely resonant. And I wonder if you can just tell me more. Unpack that. Sure. Well, when I interviewed Floyd Webb, who's a film curator and a historian, he told me that the Panther itself is a liberation avatar. 
And there have been moments throughout history where the symbol of the panther was always either a sign of protection, a symbol of a sort of courageousness, uh, whether you're referencing Bast in ancient Egypt or your men in fighting in World War II, African-American soldiers putting a Black Panther patch on them, right? Mm. I mean, these were all moments where this panther was, again, you know, this protective idea, which sort of transcends things. And Wakanda itself is a transcendent idea uh, in that it's a emergence of futures that could have been right? Mm -hmm. If we didn't have certain interruptions Mm -hmm. with respect to transatlantic slave trade, colonialism, Uh, but it's also a a symbol for people of moments when they felt they could be themselves, when they felt loved, when they felt uh, their culture was supported and enriched, and they were in spaces where they could be very engaged uh, and, and relish in a kind of sense of excellence and belonging. So, Wakanda is a, it's a mythic space in one sense, but then it's very real. You know, one woman in the book said that uh, Wakanda was as real for her as the the biblical city of Canaan. Mm. You know, that's saying a lot. Yeah. Uh, So it's for some, it's not just some destination to get to, or it's not just some fantasy tale. It has real resonance because it synergizes all these possibilities, these hopes, these dreams, uh, and these realities that people have experienced. Yeah, there there is a portion in the book where you name the places that have existed for in the United States, different places around the world that Wakanda reminds you of, right? These black meccas, right? These places, you know, before they were blown up or, or paved over, um, you know, that are resonant um, when you think about Wakanda. So, yeah, that definitely makes sense. It's, it's always this enheartened destination and sense of belonging or a place where people feel they can be their best selves. Mm-hmm. So whether that's internalized or it becomes a physical destination uh, is is relative. But, you know, I think about, you know, what Chicago meant for people coming up to through the Great Migration. Mm-hmm. It was a place where they could live a kind of life that they couldn't live in the segregated South. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, and you have the same idea, some of these uh, towns like what Tulsa meant and what Tulsa could have been. Yes. Right. Uh, <laughs> for, and I'm re- referencing um, what's now called Black Wall Street. So there's, there's these different moments in time that feel like maybe they were cut off. and But then simultaneously, it's also moments that people have experienced in their own neighborhoods. And some people talked about certain historically Black colleges as feeling like Wakanda. Mm-hmm. So there, there are moments uh, that are utopian or protopian, but then also very real. Mm-hmm. Along those lines, there's a line in the book that reads, Wakanda as both societal goal and inner sanctuary resounds, which also really hit home, um, especially the societal goal part. You know, you have the advanced technology, you have this value for family, community, autonomy, you have vibranium <laughs> as a as a gold mine. Um, but can you talk about that Wakanda as an inner goal? You started to get into this. Um, how does that come through? Wakanda itself 
was described by futurist Monica Belsky as a protopian place in that it's not dystopian. Um, and some people define utopias as spaces where it's a utopia for one group of people, maybe a dystopia for someone else. And protopias are sort of these working systems where people are always caring for one another and finding new ways to improve the society. Mm. Well, Wakanda is very much that. And when you look at the comic book issues, especially over the past 10 years, uh, there have been moments where the characters have questioned whether an idealized society would have a monarchy, Mm -hmm. right? So you had Wakandans in the storyline pushing for a democracy, (laughs) (laughs) which you would think could completely challenge the existence of the character. Mm -hmm. And yet it doesn't because it's not just about Black Panther and his journey. Mm -hmm. Black Panther is a symbol of the people and who the people want to be and can be. So the cool thing about Wakanda is that they're always, particularly in recent years, looking to elevate those aspects of society um, that aren't always celebrated. Mm -hmm. Some of which comes out in Eve Ewing's latest issues as well, where they're saying, yes, everyone has shelter, everyone has food, everyone has, you know, the rights and are protected, but there's still things that they need. There's still more to life. And so Wakanda is a space that's always trying to wrestle with that. And then Wakanda always, you know, engages with its history. was this pivotal moment for Black folks when it came to sci-fi. And you talk about this in the book. Talk about some of the media that came about all in that year. Um, And why do you think it culminated like this? Well, I was talking to visual Afrofuturist Tim Felder, and he actually pointed it out to me, Mm. you know, saying that the same year the Black Panther character debuted was also the same year that Star Trek debuted. Mm. Uh, And you have Lieutenant Uhura, you know, a Robbins Chicago resident who was most striking and I think resonated with a lot of people because she was a woman in a a utopian society or protopian society where racism didn't exist. You know, she's a black woman in that space and she would later have a very real impact on recruiting women into NASA. So um, I would say 1966 was probably just really this interesting genesis because you had a lot happening culturally as well beyond the creation of these characters. Sometimes the creation of these characters were a reflection of the fact that you have a Black cultural movement happening. Um, You had the Black arts movement, you know, formulating. You have the civil rights movement shifting into new dynamics. Um, And All of that gave rise to a need uh, to have a a greater visibility for Black characters in these stories. And I think Lieutenant Uhura and the creation of Black Panther are some of the symbols of that. Yeah. 
Um, I, I heard you talking about this on a podcast called Standing on the Shoulders. You talked about how you hadn't heard the term Afrofuturism before you were already immersed in some of the key tenets <laughs> of Afrofuturism. Right. Um, and that inspired you in a way. Can you talk about that inspiration and how Black Panther and how this book fits into that? Well, the term Afrofuturism for me was a term that I learned after I wrote a book called Post Black. And when I heard the term, I immediately realized, oh, wait, that's Afrofuturism. I was an Afrofuturist and didn't know I was an Afrofuturist, (laughs) but so were a bunch of other people, um, many of whom felt like outliers. So I had a real desire to write the book. In part because this book, right? No, writing the Afro future. Oh, the Afro future. Oh, got you. Okay, I was yes. like, oh, we started uh, a long time ago. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so in writing about the Afro futurism book, I knew that as people were introduced to the term, they would see themselves in it, and maybe they could sort of build from that point. I knew people who they were Afro futurist all day long. If they could have used that term earlier in their life who knows what directions they may have went in or how they would have felt connected to more. They wouldn't have felt as isolated. And so the the beauty of the term is that as it became more popular, it created a synergy where people could see themselves in that world. And and I kind of felt like the evolution of the Black Panther character and the world of Wakanda functioned in the same way. It sort of realigns how people think about futures. It realigns or interrogates how they uh, imagine. There's people who I interviewed who talk about Wakanda and Black Panther and the characters um, to engage, you know, students in the field of STEM or STEAM. Yes. You know, Shuri is a scientist. You know, Black Panther, too, is a scientist, you know, despite all his um, death-defying feats. (laughs) (laughs) He's a scientist. And... They become these juggernauts, Mm. you know, of inspiration for kids who maybe are in spaces. They don't know many scientists, Uh, but they see this character. And that is at least a step of reinforcing that there's a a world, even if it's an imaginative one, where they can sort of take steps in that direction if they want. Those are all my questions. Natasha, um, is there anything that you would want to bring forth that we haven't talked about um, or that you want to make sure people know? Yes, I want to say that writing this book was a pure joy. This storyline is one that's very much informed by the culture and then the culture in turn shaped by it. So it was a, a great honor to be able to write that. Yatasha Womack is the author of the new book, Black Panther, A Cultural Exploration, which came out earlier this month. Yatasha, thank you so much. Thank you. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sierra Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Klee for editing the show. Our theme music is by Louis Weeks. The Rundown is produced by WBEZ Chicago and is a part of the NPR Network. If you love the show, rate us, review us. It helps more people find The Rundown. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. 